Amen. Thank you, ladies, for singing about the greatness of God this morning. Appreciate that. Well, good morning. Doesn't feel like July, does it? It's a little bit, a little cool this morning. Good feeling. A little refreshment. It's very welcome. Thank you, Lord, for the weather. Being sovereign over that. John Rosima handed uh, this card to Corky and I in the prayer room this morning and said, read that and, and just think about it. Just think about it, because it is one of those things where you just have to huh? think about it. So I'm just going to dump this on you and then I'm going to move on quickly as you're thinking about it. But I think you'll see that it ties into our message this morning. It's a quote by John Kebble. Did I pronounce that right? Kebble? The salvation of one soul is worth more than the framing of a Magna Carta of a thousand worlds. I know you got to think about it, don't you? Maybe we'll get back to that. But we're in Matthew chapter 10 and for, the, for nine chapters now, for nine chapters, Matthew has been treating us to the powers of King Jesus. He has been revealing to us how Jesus has come into the world to reverse the curse, to reverse the mess of sin that man has brought upon himself, that man has brought upon the world as a result of his rebellion against God. And here comes Jesus, and through his words and his works, he is setting the world back upright again. And so we find Jesus healing the sick. He's doing what man cannot do. Man simply is unable to do the things that Jesus is doing. And I'm sure from every angle imaginable that they have tried. You know how we are when we want something done or if we're sick, we want to get better. We want to do what's necessary to be right. Or if we're oppressed and these other things or if a loved one dies, we would do anything to be able to bring them back to life. And this is exactly what Jesus has been doing now for about nine chapters. So he is going around and he's, seal, he's healing sickness and disease. People that couldn't see can now see. People that couldn't hear can now can now hear people that were unclean with leprosy. They're now healed and they're clean. And he's been going around and he has been exercising demons out of the possessed and the, and the oppressed and setting them free in many cases to serve as worshipers to him. And he has even raised up the dead back to life. A 12 year old girl raised back to life, gone, lost, they thought perhaps forever, I'll never see her alive again. And Jesus comes and compassionately touches her hand. She's just asleep. Now she wakes. That's, that's the power and authority of the king. And then as if that wasn't enough, he has the power and authority to forgive sins. To forgive the moral offenses Against the high king of heaven. Jesus can do that. When we ask forgiveness. He can remove it. All the consequences. Even the wrath that we deserve. He can do that. He has that power. He has that authority. And that's exactly what we have been watching Jesus do. And it's been phenomenal. It's been amazing. And I stand and marvel it's just thinking about the words and the works of Christ. And then chapter 10 comes and it's a, it's a transition. And it's going to be a challenge, I think, to us. Because now he 
in this chapter, he gathers his disciples around him and informs them that time for spectating is over. You've been watching and you've been listening to me and watching me for a reason. And now, not only will you marvel at what I can do, but it's time for you to put your uniform on and marvel at what you can do with Christ through you. So chapter 10 is a little bit of a transition in that the family of God, that the team of God, the people of God are gathered and now employed to begin to do the works of Jesus. Jesus could do it by himself. I mean, he's God. But in his sovereign, glorious plan, he lets us be a part of the plan of redemption. Be a play a part in reversing the curse that has been plaguing this universe for millennium. The whole world needs to hear about the good news. The whole world needs to hear what we know now. What Matthew has informed us. They need to know that, that sickness can be cured. They need to know that, that demons can be exercised. That people can be set free. And most importantly, that forgiveness is offered by the high king of heaven. People of the world, they're in bondage and they need to know this. God sent his world into the sun, his, his son into the world. And I guess the world's in his son since he's the word. But I didn't mean to say that, but they're both correct. But anyway, he sent his son into the world to share the good news. And now he sends his people into the world to share the good news. You'll remember in chapter nine, the very last verses. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So there's a problem. Kind of a problem. Things are ripe. It, it's time to, to gather in the fruit, the wheat, whatever. And there's not enough people to do it. But he doesn't say, so go do it. It's, it's ripe. So get out there and work. He said, no, wait. Pray. Pray for people. Pray to the Lord. Earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So pray for the boss to send out labors, the farming boss to send out labors to take care of this harvest. Now that they've prayed, I'm assuming they obeyed this and they prayed and, and obeyed that command. Now that they've done it, basically says, now that you've prayed, you're a labor. So go. Do you have a heart this morning to spread the good news? Is it in your heart to long for people to worship God, sing their praise to God, just like we did a few minutes ago. One of the threefold purposes of this church is to evangelize the lost. We, we need a heart for the lost. God has a heart for the lost. We exist to have a heart for the lost. We, have a, we exist to share the beautiful good news of Christ. Jim Elliott once said, he was a missionary, of course, and he um, was very passionate for the mission field. And he was upset that so few people were going.
going out into the mission field or so few people were willing to share the gospel with the lost. And he said, our young men are going into other fields because they don't feel called to the mission field. We don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. Perhaps this will be a kick in the pants for us this morning. And I'm going to actually um, cover the whole chapter. I know you're not used to that. I hope we don't choke on so much information at one time. I have to do the Heimlich maneuver this morning. But I'm going to just going to have to come at it from a little different perspective and hit it in larger chunks so we can accomplish this. The first 15 verses, you will go. Let's read those. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your money or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the labor deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. In this section, Jesus calls his disciples to himself like a like a commander may call his troops. He gathers them around and I can almost just picture them standing at attention. Of course, whenever Jesus speaks, you're standing at attention. As he gives them their orders to carry out. And these are directives for them. And first we find that the directive is to go out to the same people that Jesus has been ministering to. In other words, you're going to go out and you're going to find people of great need. You're going to find yourselves ministering to the people that society has left to the side. In other words, the people that, that society has a tendency to walk away from or ignore... Those are the people that you may find yourselves ministering to the most because Jesus came to heal the sick, not the healthy. So the diseased will be a part of it. The unclean will be a part of it. Those that are even oppressed by demons will be a part of this going in this ministry. They need the kingdom of grace. So when they are ignored by the world, you pursue. They are the target of God's heart. 
right away, does that not go against our natural propensity, our natural tendency? Even as Christians, do we not in our own mind kind of have an idea who we would prefer to be in the kingdom of God? I mean, when I think, I'll make a confession, when I think about it, I would like a lot of people like me, you know, that I, things I had in common in the church and in the kingdom of God, because then it would be easier. They were more like me and they wouldn't be hard to get along with and I wouldn't have to, you know, tolerate this and exercise the, the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace, patience, love, peace, patience, kindness and so forth. Self-control. So we, we have a tendency to have in our minds who would, we would really, really want to be in the kingdom of God. And usually it's not these people, it's not these kind of people. So even in our own church, if, if, a, if a very well-dressed family visited our church and you happen to know them and, and they're very wealthy, very reputable, and you think to yourself, now that's the kind of, boy, I hope they stay. That's the kind of family we want to be a part of our church. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, but have you ever thought along those terms? But then on the other hand, you know, a biker dad, he's single, he's a biker dad, and he reeks of cigarettes, and he's got tattoos, and he's got five kids, and he comes in just visiting the church. Do you secretly think, hmm, I don't really warmly want to warmly greet them so much. I want to be kind, but I'd really, but that would be a lot of work if they came to our church. A lot of ministry would have to take place. Do I really want somebody like that here? Do you see how immediately the gospel attacks and confronts the thoughts of the flesh, the natural tendencies of what we might want? And, and, and bring our desires and try to make that the gospel or what the kingdom of God. And yet, the, the kingdom is open to all. And one of the things that the power in the kingdom does is transforms people that are sick. So that they might bring glory to God. Because the people that we might not prefer stay here very long. The people that God can get tremendous glory from as he changes their lives. And as he changes our hearts that were wrong in the first place to even think that way. And notice this. As God gives us directive to his people to go. Notice that the main thing that they're supposed to bring with them, if you look at that. The main thing that you bring with you to go into these villages is faith and trust. Isn't it interesting that he talks more about what not to bring than he talks about to bring? When you go, don't bring all this stuff. Just the basics. Why? Because as you go, it's training ground. And as you go, you can learn the kind of God I am. I, I have people. I've got a network. And it, the World Wide Web is a phenomenal accomplishment. Who would ever think that there would come a day when I could push just a few buttons and have access to just about anything I wanted in the world? Or even to talk to anybody across the globe. I mean, talk about a... It's, it's a reason it's called a network network. 
because you just have access to the, the craziest, strangest, even romances you can find. People like you, maybe. I mean, you just, there's just all of this incredible stuff that we never had access to. But God's always been like that. And, and in this passage, it's like saying, I've got people in places that have whatever you're going to need in order to do my work. I've already got it arranged. So you just bring, you, you, you travel lightly in this case. You travel lightly because you won't need any more provisions because it's going to be there when you when you get there waiting for you. I've got families and provisions all over the globe. Whatever you need to do the work, it's there. It's the power of God. It's the authority of God. And so he emphasizes more on what not to bring than what to bring. And yet, again, in our materialistic Culture, what do we usually think about if we're going to go anywhere? Well, I got to pack my bag. I got a lot of stuff I got to bring so I can be prepared for anything. I'm going for five days, but I'm bringing enough food for ten just in case. Get a flat tire or something. Or get stuck up in the air. Can't land. Whatever it is. Our, Our tendency is to pile things, stockpile things, make sure we're prepared. And there's... Being prepared is also a scriptural principle. But there's also times, well, you can be prepared and trust God at the same time, but you can have all these material things and be trusting in them instead of God. That's the idea here. The big problem with this is this. If we take our materialistic attitude and present that as we present the gospel to needy people, they often see through it. And they see, oh, you have the good news, but I also see all the good things that you have with you that offer you this security that you can't do without. So that must be part of believing the gospel. And we can actually make materialistic disciples. If we if we carry the things that we trust in with us when we share the gospel, you see, it's it's a matter of people seeing through us. People can see it. If, if I trust in the wrong things, you, you can see it. We, we have a hard time hi, um, hiding these things. So maybe behind this is this idea that just take what you need and go and you'll be paid. You'll be rewarded. And I have people that will take care of you. So in other words, take your faith. Discipleship is growing in faith. You, you can't be a, a, a disciple making progress And not grow in faith. And in order to grow in faith, we have to learn that we can trust God. You don't have to be able to see the meal or whatever provision, the money or the clothes or the ticket back even. You don't have to be able to see it or have it in order to go and obey God's word. What you need is trust. God's got this. He's got a plan. He didn't tell me who or what or where. He just said, I will take care of these things. As you go in obedience, I'll see that you're fed. I'll see you have a place to stay. And it immediately takes us back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33. This huge principle of what it means to be a disciple. Seek first the kingdom of God. See, it's always God first. Always God first. Not like, okay, God, I'm going to obey you, but let me get my 
provisions and all my stuff that I'm going to need in order to obey you first. It's obey me first and the other things come. I recently read an article by um, some atheistic philosophers that drew an interesting conclusion. It was an interesting article. Uh, A little bit scary, actually, but then in second thought, not so much. But they came to the conclusion, of course, they're atheists. What else? What other conclusion can you come to? But anyway, so they wrote this article and they basically said in societies that have very strong governments, the church is weak. In societies that have very weak governments, the church is strong. And they conclude the reason for that is because people have needs and they're going to go to whatever provides those needs. And if you have a strong government that's putting food on the table and giving you your health care, whatever it is that you need in life, then you don't really need the church. If you live in a place where the government is weak, they don't give you anything. They don't provide anything. They don't even have order or structure. You're very dependent on the church. And so that's the conclusion that they drew. And so you see churches thriving in some societies with weak governments. Is that the whole picture? And maybe some truth to that. But I think the gospel is a little deeper than just having your belly full, right? I mean, the true message, the needs are there, but the true message is that the king of heaven offers forgiveness and can free you from that burden and, and can change your life in such a way that you don't have to live in poverty anymore and you don't have to live in a messy life anymore because now you're seeking after righteousness. Now you know the truth. It transforms the soul, not just being set free from the, the political spectrum. It's a message of the good news. But as I thought about that, well, if you're an atheist, I don't know what other conclusion you would draw. Another thing that I want to share before we move on to the next, and I said I'm taking it in big chunks, but there there are things that will hold us back from obeying this go command. And one of them is maybe not trusting God because we think we need certain provisions. Can't go without this and that. But there's another thing that's not in here, but it's in here, and that is uh, what I'll call knowledgeism. While I won't go, and it's not a real word. If it is, I didn't know it. I made it up because it describes what... I struggled with. And that is, I don't want to go and share the gospel because what if somebody asks me a question and I don't know the answer? I look like a fool. And I, I guess I just look God made God look like a fool. And we have this tendency to think, I can't share the good news. I can't share the word because I don't know enough. And somebody is going to ask me a question about heaven or hell or the sovereignty of God or something. And... I'm not going to know the answer and it's going to blow the whole thing and then they're really not going to come into the kingdom. So it's a fear and it's something that can hold us back from obedience. Thinking we have to know it all before. So rather than packing material things in order to obey God, now we have to pack ourselves with all the knowledge that we might need when we get out there just in case. So we're prepared or I'm not even going. And that's just as wrong. Because we we do need to grow, we do need to know, but God uses us according to the knowledge that we have, according to what he has transformed our hearts with. So maybe all you know is 
that Christ saves sinners. That's all you know, but it's a truth you know, and it's absolutely true, and it can't be challenged. Christ saves repentant sinners. Then just share that. Did you know Christ saved repentant sinners? Well, what about, do you really think God sends people to hell? Did you know Christ saves repentant sinners? That's the truth. It says it right here. And he did that for me. You just take what you do know, what you are confident. That's that's what you get. That's how ministry starts. And then you grow as you go. But how many? And and the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I have been guilty of it. I feel like I'm in I'm in concrete going to share the gospel. I'm not going to do it because they're going to ask me something and I'm not going to know the answer. And then I look like a fool. And I just made the gospel. I just made expanding the kingdom about me, didn't I? It's my own pride. Wow, the kingdom won't get very far, so to speak, with that kind of pride in the way. So materialism, knowledgeism, whatever you want to call it, there's, there's principles. And the good news is this. Whether you know just a little bit or you know a lot, you're still going to be rejected. They're still going to reject you with a hard, sinful heart. You're not going to talk them into the kingdom with your knowledge. It's a spiritual transformation that takes place. Eyes have to be open. God does it. Now, he can use the simplicity or the complexity, but God does it. And somebody with a hard heart would just soon reject somebody with a simple message as somebody with a nice, knowledgeable, complex message or vice versa. The idea is that there's, they're right. They have to be right. There's a ripening that takes place. Now, that's the work of God. There's a ripening. When I heard the gospel many times before I confessed, I wasn't ripe. And the first few times I heard it, it was like, yeah, I don't believe it. Can't be true. If it was true, more people would be Christians. And then it started to bear fruit, a little bit of fruit, and I got a little riper, and then it was kind of, I got to the point where, yeah, it's true, but I'm not, I'm not going to submit my life to it. So there was a lot of failures. There was a lot of rejection before I was harvested. And that's just the way it goes. I think I read one time where people are presented with the gospel, I believe it was nine or ten times um, before they, they embrace it. Average out of those that embraced it. So we're called to go to great need and we're called to go trusting in the king as we go. And second, as we obey the Lord in this command, it says persecution will come in 16 through 25. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's nice of you, Lord. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father is child. 
And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I'll stop there. That little section just... What a pep talk. It reminds me of the coach that, that brings his football, American football team together. And, and he says to the, to the running back, now, you're going to get the ball. You're going to carry the ball down the field. That's your job. And you're going to make progress sometimes. And the main idea is that you get the ball to the goal line, past the goal line. And rejoicing will take place. And every yard, every inch you make, rejoicing will take place. And it's a good thing. It's in the right thing. But you just got to know you're going to get tackled. You're going to get hit. You're going to get hard. hit hard. You're going to get knocked down. The other team is not going to play fair. When the ref isn't looking, there's going to be unnecessary roughness. You're going you're gonna to hurt. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. And you're going to get hurt. But I want you to take the ball. And I want you to go that way. That direction, just keep your eyes there, keep going, keep going, keep going. Sometimes you're going to make it, sometimes you're not. And the coach says to the quarterback, when, they, when the ball's hiked, that team is after you. They don't want you to get a single inch of progress. They're coming after you, you're going to be sacked. And they are going to hit you so hard purposely, they don't want you to even to be able to throw or hand the ball off anymore. They're coming after you. They got your, their eyes on you. You're going to get hurt. And this is dangerous. But every time that ball gets over the goal, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. You are doing something wonderful for the team. You got it? You just have to expect this is the game you're in. It's not ballet where you can express your artistic self with no opposition. This is a game that's dangerous and people get hurt and you're in it. That's the pep talk. But it's a good thing and it's a rewarding thing. It all counts. It's worth it. It's dangerous. The nature of discipleship is beyond dangerous, really. So how do you survive? Well, we may not. We may not. But there are things you can do. You can be wise. Don't, don't be foolish with where you go and how you speak. You be wise. You be careful. Don't just walk into traps. You might get cornered. But know this. It's my protection. I'm with you. It's my protection over you. That is your security. And God is not as safety conscious as OSHA. It's just not all those rules and regulations. You know, the saints, the saints get hurt, not just physically, but the, probably the most pain is when you get hurt in your heart and your spirit. Somebody t- lies about you or somebody mocks you. Or somebody that you thought loved you turns against you. I mean, parents against children and children have been 
against parents. We're talking about the most sacred bonds on earth ripped apart. That hurts. And that's the pep talk. This is what you can expect. He, he sends us into situations sometimes like that where, yeah, we got to face the giants and it's, it's a matter of obedience, not survival. If survival is our God, we won't go. If our goal in life is just stay alive, we won't obey the Lord in the times that he calls us into unsafe places. We've missed something. So we we started out with reading the names of the 12 disciples and all 12 of those. Well, I'm wrong. Except for Judas. The others Killed in action. K-I-A. All of them that heard these words that he gathered around. They were all martyred for their faith specifically. And not in nice clean ways. No lethal injection for them. It was suffering. It was torture. And it wasn't because God couldn't protect them. It was because God can protect them. And there is a sense in which we are bulletproof until our time has come. If the sovereign God reigns over all these things and he can even put a meal or a room where we need it. He also has our lives in his hands. And we will have breath. Until the day, our days, which are numbered. Until it's time to expire. And then there's nothing that can keep us here. It works both ways. There's nothing that you that can then can get you away. There's nothing that can keep you here but the power of God. And so our mission may be to glorify him here. Or our mission may be to glorify him there. Either way, he gets to glory, whether we're here or there. But discipleship requires toughness and and fighting. And we don't know our time, so we just keep going. We keep Going. Sometimes we got out smart people. Be I like the word winsome. You know, it's it's uh, it's the, the, winsome means you're you're thinking through things. You're you're not being foolish with your words or your actions, but it's it's attractive because you're think you're looking at people and reading them. How can I reach them? What can I do to reach them for Christ? And we, of course, as we were reminded by Corky's prayer, we have God's word, the Spirit. It's a sword. And it works. Double-edged sword. So we have every bit of a fighting chance, even in light of this pep talk, where you will, when you go, you will be persecuted. Because the evil fall into their own traps. People's lives will be changed. And if you have to flee, he gives us, he gives us freedom. There's time to flee persecution. You have the freedom to do that. And then for those who might be tempted to believe that we don't deserve to be treated that way or deserve to be so roughly, we're in a special category of Christianity. He says, a disciple's not above his teacher nor a servant above his master, verse 25. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? In other words, if Jesus wasn't spared, do you think you are going to be spared? 
He started the whole thing. Second Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So we're here to glorify God and sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes that includes suffering as we go, as we obey. And a lot of times the danger increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship and faith in Christ. Why? Because all of a sudden I have more faith in my, my, now I'm willing to go into more dangerous places. I would have dreamed to go to speak to this person or share the gospel with that person or to go overseas to this country or whatever. I wouldn't have dreamed to do that a year ago, but with my faith, I'm ready because I have a passion to see souls worship God. So our greatest joy should not be staying safe. But that people would become worshipers of God Almighty. That there would be more and more and more that would enjoy and delight in the majesty of God. And and give their lives to glorify Him. And then lastly, your Father keeps guard over what comes and goes. So as you go, things will be coming into your life. Look at verse 26 forward. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So he touches a nerve. Because when you get this kind of command... One of the things that immediately strikes us is fear of some kind, maybe fear of not having the provisions I need, maybe fear of knowledgeism, not knowing everything that I need to know, or in in this case, fear of what they might do to me when I get there. It's not a fun feeling or thought that I'm going into a place that's hostile. Not know what direction the pain might come from. So here's... How we overcome this. His advice or the kingdom principle is, first of all, you have to learn to fear God more than man. That's discipleship. You've got to learn to fear God. We're all in training right now with that because there's areas of our lives more than likely that we're fearing man instead of God. Fear God more than man. You're going to be exposed to your enemies. And then he cheers His disciples up with this thought. 
Look, the bottom line is this. The worst they can do is kill your body. That's the worst that they can do to you. Yeah, but they might chop it all up into pieces. Yeah, but that's it. As far as they can go with it, but they might burn it at the stake. That's it. That's all the power they have. If you want to really fear something, fear he who also has authority over your soul, not just your body. Because there's an end to that. There's no end to this. So he, he cheers us up by putting life and even pain and death in perspective of why we should fear God first. They can't kill your soul. Think about your final fate. Think about the end of the book. Keep that in your sights. You got to have an eternal perspective. And second, he wants us to take comfort in that he is sovereign over all things. A bird, as big as this universe is, a bird can't even fall to the ground. A sparrow of all things, not an eagle or a grand bird. A sparrow cannot even hit the ground without the father knowing about it. How much more in terms of value and worth we have to know what we mean to God when we venture out. We have to know how much he cares for us. There's not there's not a breath of air we don't breathe that he doesn't know about it. Everything we're surrounded by his glory and his presence and his sovereign protection. So he watches and he guards everything that goes out and everything that comes into our lives Every day. He's not overwhelmed with it. He's not going to be caught off guard with it. He knows everything about it. So the application is trust the sovereign God. Yes, with even your life. Trust him. He's worthy of it. He cares. He's not going to abandon you. All things work for the good of those who love God and you love God, right? It's all for good. Not for evildoers, doesn't work out for them like that, but for you, it does. And then lastly, remember the ultimate reward. Look at verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water... Because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The great ward. You have God, you get, you get God forever. And you have the reward of pleasing God through your obedience. That's where obedience to the gospel takes us. I want to close with a story by, um, I think I heard, I believe I heard this from David Platt. He says this was relayed uh, to him at, um, to him through a church's mission team to North Africa about a lady in that region who was brought to a medical clinic in a wheelbarrow. She was sick and she was about to die. And until she received care, from the Christians. These Christians that cared for her later shared the gospel with her. And this uh, lady came to Christ. She repented of her sins. And she went back to her own family well. 
And she shared her faith with her own family, her faith in Christ. And her household turned against her, and her own father beat her. He says this kind of reaction is all too common in that region, and most of the persecution happens from within the household, not primarily from government. Nevertheless, this lady stood strong and shared the gospel. And her father, the man who had beaten her, came to faith in Christ. And he's now an evangelist, going from village to village, sharing the gospel. When you talk to believers like this, it's not the suffering they talk about, those that undergo this kind of persecution. That's not the story you're going to hear about how bad this hurt and how bad that hurt. When you go to them, what they talk about is the joy in Christ that they have. That's what they want to talk to you about. Their joy in Christ to be able to serve Him, to be able to obey Him, to be able to be a part of the redemptive story, to play a part in sharing the good news. God didn't keep it all to Himself. He lets us be the good news bearers. The reward far outweighs the risk. This is happening on a daily basis in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's still at hand. It's in hand in this gospel. It was at hand with Christ. John the Baptist talked about it. Jesus talked about it. The disciples talked about it. And that's what we talk about today. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, we want to be ready and prepared for the kingdom of God. So the challenge here for disciples is go. In our own little way, in our own sphere where God has us, we all have our own little village to go to. We all have our own people, whether it's family members, work people, people in our community, our classroom. God has strategically placed us, his disciples, where we are so that we will share the good news of Christ. Read this one more time and close. The salvation of one soul is worth more than the framing of a Magna Carta of a thousand worlds. One soul set free for eternity in heaven. Worth more than tens of thousands of people set free here on earth. Will we encourage one another to go? May God bless the preaching of his word.